But I've really, I've read a lot of reviews, you know, prepping for this, and it's like they, they describe it beautifully. So shelf awareness, I think, said it perfectly. And it said, by turns, acerbic and evocative Decretzer's prose works like acid to melt away perceived realities until her characters are baffled by more fundamental truths beneath the surface. The surface dissolved most efficiently in that of white luxury liberalism. Yes. Yes. I think that's probably true. Do you want to give like a quick summary before we get too far so people kind of understand the gist of it? Yeah, so this is a book told in five episodes, as Michelle de Kretzer uh, calls them. And she said she was really interested in writing a book where the central character is not central. So there really is no protagonist like we mentioned earlier. It's about five different characters and how their lives intersect. And how your story is not just your story, it intersects with other people's stories. So we have George and all of these characters that we're going to talk about deal with Australian literature. And that's one of the big themes in the book is Australian literature and the conversation about Australian literature and Australian publishing that's going on right now. And so each of the five episodes, we move kind of forward loosely in time. And each of the episodes includes one character as well who flits in and out of other people's stories, and that is Pippa. She eventually does have her own section, which is the fourth section. She and her progression are are sort of just part of the novel. Um, It's really hard to describe because it's not just one novel. It's like five short stories that are interconnected by Pippa loosely, if that makes sense. I think that was the thing that was the most disorienting for me at first because I'm so used to reading books that have very strong central characters. And for it not to have a strong central character, I think really confused me at first. But then once you kind of start to see how Pippa is incorporated into each episode, it really started to click for me. And I definitely think it's thematically driven. I think we're mostly used to plot-driven or character-driven books, but this is mm-hmm. not either of those things. She's trying to communicate something to the reader, and she uses multiple perspectives on the same topic, which is white liberalism. One of the topics is white liberalism in Australia um, and how that affects the immigration, kind of like the immigrant population that is moving into Australia. And she uses different perspectives, um, including um, immigrants to Australia, uh, primarily from Sri Lanka, where the author is from. And I felt like that because it deals with like white liberalism, it is kind of an uncomfortable read in the sense of she so shows so glaringly like how problematic Pippa's attitude is. Especially as the book progresses, and especially in the final episode, which was actually my favorite. I think that's definitely a strong episode. Pippa is, to learn more about Pippa, Pippa is a young woman who is an aspiring novelist. She actually doesn't have a lot of talent, and her first POV character is George, who is her teacher, and he's actually good at what he does, for what he does. And he kind of gives her a a recommendation, even though he doesn't actually think she's any good. So she spends most of the book trying to write a good book, and she writes a lot of mediocre novels. Um, But she says it's because she's an artist and people just don't understand. She's not commercial enough, blah, blah, blah. She seems very charming at first. And I was listening to an interview I found randomly on this podcast with Michelle about Pippa. And the interviewer actually thought seemed to think that she was a charming yet somewhat misguided figure. And I don't hmm. think that's what Michelle de Kretzer meant at all. I think she's a very harsh critique on how she performs liberalism and trying to promote other people while missing the point altogether, you know? And I yeah. feel like that interviewer was exactly what Michelle de Kretzer was critiquing. Ironically, right? I, I know. 
I, I found Pippa fascinating because throughout all the different sections, she really embodies that idea and how it affects different people's lives. So we have um, the second one is her friend. And I feel like Cassie, who is a PhD student in Australian literature, she faces a lot of sexism in that. She is kind of the foil to Pippa because Cassie, even though she still struggles with similar things, she learns from her mistakes a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And Pippa is, just remains clueless. She's like a static character throughout the entire book. Yeah, that section was really fascinating about Australian literature. And I feel like it was kind of like a, a short history of the landscape of literature in Australia. Yeah, and, and having being a person who doesn't know a ton about Australian literature at all, I found it very fascinating how de Kretzer was critiquing Australian literature. At the very mm-hmm. at the very end, we have a Sri Lankan immigrant named Chrisabel who comes over, and Pippa takes people's lives who she considers unimportant that people won't notice, and she turns them into novels. So she takes her neighbor Chrisabel and turns her into a novel, and she says a lot of derogatory things about Chrisabel without really caring about what she thinks. So at the very end of the book, uh, Chrisabel takes. Uh, George's book, who we, it's the first POV character, and Pippa's, who represent different types of Australian literature, and she throws both of them away and says, I don't need either of these viewpoints on my life. I don't need either parts of these. Mm. They, they are not enough for me. They are not describing my story accurately. And she just tosses both of them. And so a review said, symbolically, Christabel bends both books by both writers. And re- she recalls a fairy tale hike with Bunty during their holiday in Romania. They crossed the dark wood and reached the bright field. And it was like she just needed her community and move forward with her life. She didn't need Australian literature to tell her what her life meant or give her life meaning. And I think there's definitely a tendency in literature in general, which I think is why it's so important to read a wide variety of books from a not just white perspectives especially because Pippa is a writer and the way that she writes Christabel in her book is just such a caricature and I think that that's why I feel like this last episode is my favorite because it really hits at home kind of the effect of everything that we've been building up to how we see how Christabel tries to genuinely befriend Pippa and how she thinks that she's her friend and then she comes to find out that as we've said before she's just play-acting liberalism or play-acting the fact that she's so, I don't know, multicultural or whatever. And I, I definitely think that that comes across in um, Pippa's section as well. And we have the four other POV characters besides Pippa. And then we see Pippa. I, I felt like each time in each section, Pippa was a different person because she was being viewed through a different mm-hmm. lens, through a different POV character. And then when we actually get to Pippa's section, she's nothing like I expected from her perspective, because she views herself as she holds certain truths about her own life and her own talent that aren't true, because we know this based on other people's view of her. It's sort of like, you know, the the story of the blind man and the elephant. It's the one where a bunch of blind men are saying, well, the elephant, they, the one guy got gets his tail. And he says, oh, an elephant skinny and long or whatever. And then, no, and it gets the trunk. And they describe different parts of oh, the elephant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're all the elephant, but they're just different parts of the elephant. Yeah, I felt like she ended up being a giraffe, like totally like <laughs> our metaphors are really stretched thin here today. Um, but she did to- was totally different. And that's just because she was viewing herself through her own eyes and she is pretty clueless about the world around her. Yeah, she she really is, which Honestly. is sad. <laughs> but that is like 
the strength, I think, of the critique that Michelle de Kretzer was going for. And I think as a Sri Lankan immigrant to Australia, she definitely has a lot to say about that topic. Yeah, definitely. So one of the things that we haven't talked about that is a theme in this book is forgetting and like the act of forgetting. What were your thoughts on that? I, I think there's a lot here that I feel like you could explore a bit more because there are uh, there are different events throughout history, such as they, they touch on like the massacres of indigenous Australians, um, the, the murder of Algerians in Paris during the 1960s, which one of our viewpoint characters, her dad died in one of in the uh, when um, the murder of the Algerians in Paris in the 1960s. Um, and just the different com the complex ethnic politics in Sri Lanka and just a lot of different things that people have forgotten that have happened. Um, it's just because they, you know, they happen to minority groups or, you know, people just wanted to shove that unfortunate occurrence under the rug. I keep thinking of Laylee Longsoldier's poetry collection where she talks about there was a mass hanging of um, Native American men and that how we don't talk about that and we try to forget about that because it's just something that we try not to remember because it's so horrible. We can't believe that we did that. Or people have not considered these things as important as they should, uh, or they, they haven't remembered these things as they should. And, you know, we as a society have a very short memory, unfortunately. Um, but these things have lasting impressions on the communities to which they happen. And so we have, again, one of these these girls, you know, one of the women in the story, her dad died in one of these events. So she's remembering that um, she lives in Paris where it happened and um, just a lot of different things. And she touches on that and how it's almost like, remembering as a society versus as an individual and how that affects people who live in that society and how literature also intersects with that, which really gets kind of complicated, which I feel like people have understood that this book is kind of complicated. It is complicated. And that one scene, it reminds me of the scene, and I don't remember which episode it is, where they're talking about the sign that commemorates the Algerians who were murdered in Paris. And I believe it's Pippa and her friend, what is his name? Do you know what I'm talking about? George? Yeah, I think it's George. And they have like two totally different perspectives. They have totally different memories relating to what happens in regards to that situation. And so I think that that was also something that really resonated with me because as you, know, as you mentioned already, um, we have the same problem here as well. And I think interestingly too, like the Stella Prize, I think kind of addressed this topic of forgetting in and of itself by picking an indigenous woman and a, a nonfiction book by an ind indigenous woman as the winner this year. It's a way of not to forget. You know, the more I think about this book and all that de Kretzer took on and how she integrated it together with these different parts, it's just really phenomenal how she just, I don't know, like I, I would never be able to take all of these different ideas and align them into a coherent novel. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I know it, I know it's a very thematic novel, but I feel like she did such a good job of taking all of these complex ideas and putting them under one roof, so to speak. Uh, so we could talk about this book for a lot longer, but um, we're just going to have to end it here for time so we can talk about A Wrinkle in Time. Uh, no, no, no pun intended there. Just... <laughs> Anyway, so uh, definitely go check out The Life to Come by Michelle DeKrotzer, and that's out from Catapult. And that brings us to our sponsor spot. So we are talking about our Patreon page this time. I'm sure you all have heard us talk about this a lot, but we're really excited this year to kind of do some new things for our patrons. And so in addition to having like different levels of sponsorship that help just keep this podcast going, Kendra and I do this 
not as a full-time job. So like the Patreon page does help support keep the podcast up and going and on air so you can listen to it. So in addition to having different levels of sponsorship, we also have built a great community of wonderful book lovers and we just had a meeting with them for our quarterly book club and it was just really delightful to get to talk to everyone. I feel like we've gotten to know our patrons over the course of the last year that we've had our Patreon and just getting to know their preferences and they've given us some great feedback. It's definitely a safe space to help improve the podcast and get to know people and what books they prefer and um, I, one of my favorite things is the book club that we have. Uh, we're going to be talking about The Essex Serpent by Sarah Perry for quarter two uh, of the book club and we love that book so mm, yeah there's so much to talk about there and it's fun too because we have such a global community of patrons and so we get a whole bunch of different perspectives about books and writing and literature that's just really amazing it is it is and i will never get over that we actually had someone reading elena Ferrante in the re- original italian that really just made yes. my year <laughs> yes That was definitely so much fun. We learned so much about Italian culture and language and all kinds of things. It was great. So if you want to find out more about our Patreon page, you can find a link to it in our show notes. There's also a link on our website. There's a link in our bio on Instagram. And you can head over there and check it out for yourself. And so, Autumn, you have the next discussion pick. I have the next discussion pick. So as soon as we decided that we were going to talk about traveling... It wasn't long after that I I decided to read A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Lingle. And part of the reason is because of the, as I mentioned in the last episode, the movie that just recently came out about it. And, and it just reminded me that I have never actually read it before. And it's interesting because we posted about it on Instagram the day that we're recording this. And I guess I assume because of all the people that I know who read it as a kid that I was like the last person on the planet to not have read it as a kid. But there's a lot of you out there who like only read it as adults. Yeah. Yeah. We posted, we posted that today and we had so many responses that people hadn't, you know, read it until they were adults. I mean, I didn't read it until for this podcast. So I felt definitely included. I I felt loved. I was like, my people. We found our people. (laughs) Our people, our people. So since this is, you know, you're reading it for the first time as an adult, what did you think of Wrinkle in Time? It wasn't what I expected, but when you, when a book has this kind of a long shadow, as it were, I feel like there's a lot of hype or whatever. I don't know. I guess it'd be like, I didn't read Harry Potter until later, and I had all kinds of preconceived ideas about it until I actually read it. But it was definitely not as more complex and simpler than I thought it would be, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, and that, and that makes sense. I, I remember I, I truly struggled with all of the craziness, like when they go off Earth or whatever. But as an adult, I, mm-hmm. I understood it more. And so it seemed simpler, way simpler than it had been impressed upon me that it was. I feel like I just did like a little circle around what I was trying to say, but I think you got it. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I understand. I mean, people definitely do have really strong, strong, strong feelings about this book, especially if they read it as children. And after reading it, I can understand why, because it is very magical and scientific at the same time. I'm going to give a short summary just in case people don't know about it. So it centers around a girl named Meg Murray, and when we meet her, we very quickly find out that her father is missing. And then we discover that both she's the 
third child in a family of four kids, and both of her parents are scientists. And her youngest brother, Charles Wallace, is also a, plays a big role in the story. And he, the people believe that he's slow or has, like, learning disabilities. They're not quite sure because he doesn't really talk and that kind of thing. So it cuts to the chase really quickly. And one night when Meg can't sleep because of a storm, she's in the kitchen with Charles Wallace and her mom. And they're visited by a mysterious woman named Mrs. What's-It. And it just goes from there. Part of the, the story is generally like a quest story. So Meg and Charles Wallace and their friend Calvin set off with Mrs. What's-It, Mrs. Who, and Mrs. Witch to go and try to find their father. And they do it through time travel. Yeah, and it's like they, they use the, t the idea of a wrinkle in time as this idea that you're moving through time and that you create a wrinkle. Mm -hmm. All the time they use is in that wrinkle and then they attach, attach it back. Anyway, they describe it really good. And I feel like in a way that children could understand. Well, it's even in a way that I can understand. Wormholes and that kind of stuff is always... And I did watch the Nova special about it, so it's not like I was completely <laughs> ignorant of it going into this. But I thought that the way that she described something as complex as time travel and alternate dimensions was really amazing, especially like on a kid's level. And I actually did think like if I had read this as a kid, I think I might have been more interested in science like from an earlier age. Uh, just because she's, like, really engaging. And this book won all kinds of awards. It's a Newbery Medal winner, Sequoia Book Award, Lewis Carroll Award, all kinds of things. And it's part of a quintet, too. So there's three other books in the series that I haven't read yet. Yeah, and, I, you know, after listening to this, it was a very, it's a pretty short book. So I listened to it in, like, one sitting. It's very And there short. are the other ones on Scribd. And I was like, well, I obviously need to listen to those. <laughs> You mentioned that you tried to read this book a couple of years ago and you couldn't finish it. Why was that? Well, I tried to read it in junior high, in high school, and then in college, and I just couldn't get through it. I don't know. Like, each time I'd make it a little farther, but I just, it was too weird and confusing, and it just didn't mesh. You know, like when you're listening to a book and you are you have zero interest in it, and it's just too weird. It's just not a you book. And that doesn't yeah. make sense because I'm a fantasy person. I know. That's the thing that just is not, I don't understand. Because it is kind of a fan, it is a fan, is it technically fantasy? I think it's science fiction and like it's both really. It's like a science fiction fantasy book. It's like, I, I feel like there's aspects of both, but we're not, we're not going to go into the genre details. But yes, that is what it is. <laughs> I did see though, and this is a complete tangent, has nothing to do with the actual content of the book, but it is short. So I feel okay about it. Um, I did see in a New York Times article that they were saying, if you like to wrinkle in time, then you need to read the fifth season by N.K. Jemison. And I was like, yes! Well. Everyone needs to read that book. <laughs> no, it's it, it's funny that they anyway. like, put them together. Uh, I think it's because N.K. Jemison's fantasy is kind of like a combination of science fiction and fantasy as well. Though it is for a totally different age group audience, we will note. Yes. Yes. Complete yes, don't let your kids read it. Yes, thank you for that disclaimer. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely like a gateway, it's a gateway to science fiction. And I feel like though it is has some allegorical elements to it, you could it's a very loose allegory and you can apply it to whatever faith system that you believe in, really. Yes. And so like one of the big themes of the book, which is like the main thing we're gonna talk about, is the theme of light versus dark. And like good versus evil kind of a thing. So it's like, so the three women who come and visit the Murray's house and 
who befriend Charles Wallace and then Meg, we never really know what they are at first. They're definitely like spiritual kind of beings of some kind. And we not, don't really know if they're like witches or angels or whatever. And then they're going, you know, part of the reason they're traveling through the universe is to, they go to the planet where the dad is at and they're definitely met by a very, very evil presence. And we get there really quickly. So the set, the setup between those two things is established very quickly. I, I felt like her wordplay and just the way that she illustrated the evil that she was discussing. So we end up on this planet where everyone is similar and everyone has to be the exact same way. And it's said, you know, it's this idea that by being the same way that it gives you freedom because you know the way you're going to be. And I feel like you can definitely feel the anti-communist influences because that's around the time that she wrote it. Mm. But also she talks about how what's unique about us makes us ourselves, if that makes sense. And you could definitely see that with our little brother, Charles Wallace, who's just very unique and he's a person in and of himself. And that's something that I, I really liked. And she talked about how that looked facing the darkness. So, so you go mm -hmm. into this planet or whatever that's supposed to be filled with darkness and you find this almost perfect looking world, but in reality, yeah. it's, it's not. Because that's one of the things, too, that Meg is dealing with is she's very unhappy with who she is as a person because she has two older brothers who are very athletic and very popular at school. And she's more she's not as intellectual, which I think she feels ashamed of because her parents are both scientists. And so she, but then she's also like picked on and made fun of at school. And then her younger brother, as we said, like, he's very different. He's just different, and no one really knows how to describe it. So they're kind of isolated. And it, I thought that Lingle did a great job of showing how, or setting up this, this contrast between how different is not a bad thing. Yeah, I, I very much like that. I wish I, wish I had read it as a younger kid, because I definitely was Meg as a child. And I mean, I'm a Meg now. Yeah. Let's just be honest. I'm Meg now. <laughs> <laughs> I am too. <laughs> but that's what we're here. That's why all of us that's introverts go out on the internet to be alone in our pajamas at home, but together. Yes, this is true. <laughs> this is true. And I appreciated that. I, I haven't actually seen the movie yet. I haven't gotten around to it. But I know from what I've read in the, in the movie that Meg is biracial. And then that's part of the reason why she's othered in her school and in her community. And I think that that's a great interpretation of that theme throughout this book in that movie. I think that was a good choice. Yeah, I, I really like that. And I love how it's like there's only one person that can save the planet. And it's the face of this young, you know, biracial black girl. Just and she's the one that's going to save the world. And I just thought it was a beautiful mm -hmm. moment. Well, and even too, like, I think you would kind of expect for Charles Wallace, her brother to be the I mean, it's not it's not implied in the book at all, but like stereotypically, like Charles Wallace, her brilliant younger brother would be the person to save the planet because he's smart and he can like telepathically connect with this evil guy. And then that ends up kind of being his downfall. And it is Meg, the girl who's kind of awkward and not as book smart who ends up being the person who saves her dad and her family. Yeah, I think it's really funny that it's like pride that's the downfall of dudes mm -hmm. throughout the book, which I feel like is just a theme that women have been experiencing throughout millennia, is that, okay, when this happens, that women are there to pick up the pieces and support their families and their loved ones because this the axe thing happened. 
And I felt that that was well portrayed. And I felt like Madeline Langle's portrayal of feminism was very balanced. It was. Especially in the, um, did you end up reading the end note that her granddaughter wrote? I don't think that was in my edition. edition. Well, the movie edition, which I listened to, had this end note from her granddaughter that had a lot of people protesting the way that Meg eventually grew up and was a lab tech for her husband. And they, they were upset that she didn't go off and do things by herself. But Madeline Langle was adamant that feminism meant that women could choose what they wanted to do. Mm. And if Meg wanted to choose, you know, having kids and raising a family and being a lab tech, that, that was her choice. That's what feminism meant to her. And I really admired her sticking to that uh, and having that, like, just amazing women aren't these women that choose just this thing. Amazing women choose all different types of things yeah that's really fantastic i need to track that down i'm sure it's on the internet somewhere i haven't read the other books in the series um i don't even know what the plots are about i think charles wallace gets sick in the second one and i know i think he's the protagonist of a later book because i saw him on the cover of one but otherwise i don't know anything else about them but i definitely want to check them out yes and i did have the feeling when i finished the book that i really wanted to just go and tear through the other three, but I didn't. I restrained myself. You know, Madeline Lengel has this great quote where she talks about when a topic is too difficult for adults, you write the book for children. Mm. And I, I've always looked at that and I feel like she has definitely connected with something there because... In the edition that I read, they talked about the publishing story and how no one knew what this book was, and it was rejected five billion times, and people kept trying to get her to change things different ways, and uh, she didn't, and she just wrote what she wrote, and um, it was for children, and children loved it, obviously. Yeah, I do think that it is a great book for for kids. In the verses, the theme versus light and dark that we mentioned earlier, uh, there are definitely some spiritual themes in mm-hmm. the book, and she mentions Jesus, but she also mentions Buddha, and that there are these warriors for the light and warriors for the dark. So I feel like it acknowledges and helps develop children's spirituality, but in a way that's not like adamant to so you could children of all different backgrounds is what i'm saying could read this book and get something out of it it's not like it's specifically a particular religion's book though madeline langle did um have faith particular faith uh, she made it accessible yeah and i thought that that explanation of like forces of good and forces of evil was really great and how she did broaden it and how she did kind of allow it for open interpretation because i think it's true i think there's all different kinds of people fighting for good all around the world and it's a great topic and a great way to bring up for kids at that early age too i think it'd be a great discussion book for children yeah for you to have a conversation with your you know the, any you know not just your children but you know the children in your life your nieces nephews whatever and have these conversations and i think it's a great way to give children like as a kid i was very much visual so i could visualize what was happening in this book and then apply it you know, outside of the book. And I think that would be a great conversation. I definitely will be handing this book to my nieces and nephews when they're old enough. I will too. It's it's definitely going to be a book that I'm going to gift from now on. Yeah. I can't wait for Jack to read it. Jack loves space right now. And he's, he's eight Aww. and he's like all Star Wars, everything. I got him a map for Christmas and he's like opening it and he's like, oh, a timeline. <laughs> and I was like, I'm related to you, kid. <laughs> He's a chip off the old block. So I need to get I need to get him this book. He's just about at That's the right so age cute. age for it. So I did definitely enjoy this book. I think I probably would have enjoyed it more if I had been younger when I read it, but it didn't make me appreciate the themes in it or the way that the themes were handled any less. I was actually really impressed with it. And I am gonna finish the the quartet. 
So if you haven't gotten around to reading it yet, be sure to pick up A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline LaIngle. It's a quick read. It's a fun read. It's an important read. I think it's very going to be very culturally significant now, too, especially since this new movie came out. So definitely pick up a copy of that. So that those are our two discussion picks for May for our theme of going places. And that means it's time for a new theme. Our theme for June, which also happens to be our birthday month, is audiobooks. So Kendra and I have picked some books that we really enjoy listening to on audio just to kind of share the love. Yes, because as you all know, Autumn and I adore audiobooks. We'd not be able to do yes. this podcast without audiobooks, hands no, down. we would not. Uh, so we love them, we love them, and so we'll be talking about audiobooks, some resources that you can have uh, to find audiobooks, but also we have some surprises in store for our anniversary month, our birthday month. We are be turning two. I can't believe that. It's so crazy. I know, right? I feel like we just yeah. had a birthday. I know. <laughs> so last year we did some special things. So this year we are going to be doing some special things as well. We have some uh, new things in store. So stay tuned. We'll be releasing a extra episode near the end of May to talk about that a little more. So definitely stay tuned and keep an eye on your podcatchers. I think that's the end of our show. So remember that we are now on Spotify, and if you have a podcatcher of choice that we are not on, definitely send us an email, and we will do our best to get on that podcatcher. Uh, please also, if you haven't already, review us in Apple Podcasts or, again, your podcatcher of choice. It helps other people find us, and it definitely has some great feedback for us. And thank you so much if you've already done that. Uh, just as a reminder, we do have a newsletter, which will be linked in our show notes. But we also, on the website, we have uh, guest posts from uh, readers from all around the world. The most recent one was from uh, Claire or from the BritLit podcast. She wrote about British books that you definitely want to check out. And we also do Q&As with authors. So if you haven't checked out our website, definitely do so. And you can get updates for that uh, by, again, subscribing to the newsletter. And that is our show. So thank you all so much for listening and join us next time where, as we mentioned, we will be talking about audiobooks and we will be partying hard for our birthday. And in the meantime, you can find Reading Women on social media at The Reading Women. You can find Kendra at KD Winchester and you can find me at Autumn Privet. And again, thank you all so much for listening and we will talk to you soon. Bye guys. Storybound is a podcast where acclaimed writers read their essays and stories, which are then scored by unique and award-winning composers with each episode hosted by myself, Jude Brewer. With Storybound, you'll find a whole array of genres and musical styles, some painful yet sweet, or hilarious yet tragic, all brought to you by the Podglomerate and Lit Hub Radio. Hi, I'm So Pandeb. Hi, I'm Megan Angelo. This is Tommy Orange. This is Amanda Stern. This is Phil Cly. Hello, this is Stephanie Dandler. My name is Chloe Caldwell, and you're listening to Storybound. Storybound. This is Storybound. 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 This is the Storybound Podcast. Season 2 will be arriving on July 14th, with new episodes every Tuesday, featuring writers like Stephanie Dandler, Garth Greenwell, Tommy Orange, Chloe Caldwell, and more. Make sure to subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And tell a friend, because the next best thing to hearing a great story is having someone to share it with.